Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of Movie Mastery. It's the podcast where we watch the movies that you recommend to us. I am your host, John, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff. Hi there, everybody. I'm Jeff. Certainly are. No one else is. I don't think there's any other Jeff in the whole wide world. Not to me there isn't. You are my world. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> The fact that you would you would uh, forsake other Jeffs before me is uh, well, I mean, outside of Goldblum, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's in the the Jeff Commandments. I shall have no other Jeff before you. <laughs> I'm going to say though, I'm going to go ahead and allow you now, if you want, to go ahead and form a Desert Island Five of Jeffs, <laughs> like 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 if you need them, you know. I mean, I, I, like for example, if you're going to put Jeff Bridges on your Desert Island Jeffs, that's I totally get it. He's an imposing figure. He's a powerful actor. I'm a big fan. Indeed. I understand yeah. that. But I don't want to yeah. covet my neighbor's Jeff. So <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm gonna but just so you know, I have a, a Desert Island John list that you don't have to actually abide by. Um <laughs> and I have no idea who's on it because I did not think of it before this joke. <laughs> that's how we do here. <laughs> we don't think about things in the future. We're in the now, the present, it's all, baby. It's all improv. I don't know. Maybe John uh, the, the Baptist. That'd be kind of neat. <laughs> there you go. And for my him. desert island, I'm going to have Jeff the Baptist. <laughs> Not my cousin Jeff the Baptist. Yeah, he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually don't have that many cousins, and they're all pretty good. Uh, all right. So this week, went ahead and rolled up on the big list of movies, one that we've actually been told to do several times, which is the Knights of Badassdom. Uh, yeah. Probably because we do the RPG reviews, people were like, you should watch this. I feel like people recommended this to me for the same reason that every time I talk to my dad, he tries to tell me what was funny on Big Bang Theory yesterday. <laughs> See, it's I like, feel like there's a there's a chance that some people were like, you should watch this, you like the RPGs, you should enjoy this, or because of it's our audience, they're like, you should watch this, I know it will infuriate you. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, uh, hopefully that this is a recommendation from canny listeners who are like, you guys should watch this. It's horse shit, and it's a particular bouquet of horse shit that should infuriate the both of you. Yeah, there's a kind of thing where... You know, I get it if you were into one very certain niche hobby and a movie came out that was ostensibly about it and then was, you know, basically loosely nothing to do with it and mostly sucked about it. I understand that you would be the type of person to get angry at that. And that's sort of the same thing anytime any RPG related thing comes out, because it's never by someone that's like, boy, howdy, do I love rpgs it's always someone who's like haha i know what those are i feel like i mean this movie is from 2013 and i feel like that ship may have sailed that now we finally entered an era where creators are themselves nerds who played D, and so we're starting to see the kind of renaissance of that you know like how henry cavill plays a lot of D and is really big into 40k and he was big behind that witcher project like that was his baby uh, or Dan Harmon is a big D&D guy, so when he works D&D jokes into his shows, they make sense. Yes, and that's... I feel like this is definitely the cusp, like the tail end of the timeline of people don't really know much about it, but it was right on the uh, end of like, okay, but people know of it more? Yeah, I mean... This is of an era with, like, the Guild, uh, Big Bang Theory, where, you know, it you, it was nerds as written by 75-year-old Hollywood screenwriters who had never met one. Yeah. They're like, oh, what do you know? Well, I've definitely seen, you know, a video of someone LARPing before, and that was hilarious. So... Like, there was a point... <laughs> I started watching this movie early, and there was a point where I messaged you, who hadn't seen it yet, and I was like, do you feel like when you know, teenage girls watch Mean Girls that they get, like, irrationally angry because they're like, we're not like that. I wonder if LARPers feel that way about this movie. And then, like, three minutes later, I sent you a second one that was like, never mind, they're doing D&D &D jokes. I know. I know how <laughs> people feel now. 
Uh, I feel like the the number one joke for for movies prior to like I'd say 2018 is level numbers. It's the it's the number one joke you can easily work in. It's just people going, "I'm a level 26 illusionist" or whatever, and that in and of itself counts as a joke. Yeah, I mean that is sort of the problem with a lot of nerd movies and shows and things like that pre a certain point is it's all just sort of things where even if someone making it did know they're like well this has to play to an audience that doesn't so we'll just make references to a thing and that's good enough yeah as long as they include a couple of the buzzwords they can just say whatever and the thing is the concept of nerds talking about nerd stuff is apparently enough weight that they could be like all right job done hang the mission accomplished banner we had a nerd say a nerd thing joke achieved <laughs> that nerd just said something about the flash we're good here yeah i mean that was pretty much every time i have to endure another lecture on what's going on on big bang theory that's that's what it is they'll be like oh this one guy in the big bang theory knows everything about dc comics and he would not stop talking about them great i don't like yeah. that person in real life why would I like them on a television show? Especially on a television show where all four of the male leads are weird, sexual, assaulty creepos. <laughs> but in this movie, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say pretty much any time a movie like this uh, or any of the other, like, sort of indie, low-budget, either about, like, gaming or one of those ones where it's like, oh, and now we go to an imagination of what the gaming that we're doing at the table would look like in real life sort of movies. It's the same uh, thing with video games too. You know, with the sitcoms, you're like, let's show what a video game is like. And it's just, it's basically this. It's people wandering around a field saying thee and thou at each other. But I mean, it's, to me, it basically feels the same way as when someone comes up and wants to tell you about their D&D campaign completely unbidden from you. And you're like, I don't care. Stop it. <laughs> it's funny because, uh, you know, I don't, it's not just that I don't care, which is usually the, the number one reason that I cite for like, please don't tell me about your character. But almost always people who are like unburdening themselves of campaign stuff are about to tell you some fucked up shit. I'm going to tell you that was actually probably the most accurate thing in this was I was like, oh, these are the type of people that would indeed think that demonic syphilis is something that needs to be shared and is hilarious. Yeah, when we get into it, the demonic syphilis thing was an early introduction to a character where I was like, oh, yeah, OK, well, I'll just put that on my checkbox of nerd tropes that you could have left at fucking home. Uh, all right. You know what? We are going to get into it. I think you can get the general gist of what we thought of this movie so far, but we're going to do the full spoiler review after a little bit of music, so we will be back to talk about the Knights of Badassdom. Right, we are back and ready to dive deep into the Knights of Badastum, which I will go ahead and say right out the gate, man, <laughs> <laughs> the, even all of the horrible, semi-insulting nerd shit aside, like the that kind of thing, I understand at least for the sake of like exaggeration or playing for comedy. Whatever. It's not funny, but I get it. I understand where you're going. Sure, sure. But the main plot thrust of this basically being, man, women are bitches and it takes a while to get over them, huh? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was kind of su I'm surprised that you pointed out there was a plot thrust at all, because I felt like there was just a meandering pile of crap. Um, but but well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole movie is basically just like either, oh, man, women are mean or boy women are sex objects yeah yeah well they i mean they have summer glow in the movie almost specifically just to be a oh my gosh a summer glow type where she's a badass martial artist sword fighter who doesn't really want to be because that's not cool yeah it's like oh i'm just here to support my cousin but i'm also very good at it so you know that i'm cool 
and I'm good at things, but also that I, I don't want to be because I'm that cool. And that scene where she announces that her cousin is her cousin and not her boyfriend was so like off the rack. I was, I, I just, God damn. Anyway, we should probably start from the beginning where Steve's on and who else is out there with him? It's, it's Steve's on, uh, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, some guy and, uh, Jimmy Simpson, who I, 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 I'm sure he's a very good character actor, but every movie I ever have to see this guy in, I fucking hate. So, I mean, I'm, I feel like that's sort of the character he gets. No, I don't mean I fucking hate him. He's good at his job of being a shithead. Every movie I've seen him in, I fucking hate. Oh, I mean, that's also true. I think those are also the types of movies he gets. <laughs> that's true. We have He's a, an alumni of... Uh, movie mastery episodes because he played the younger smarter brother in the horror movie gravy indeed uh but which was uh, just almost exactly as atrocious as this thing oh please this is worlds better than that i'm gonna go <laughs> ahead and say that right now yeah if you say so anyway they're all out in the woods doing some larpy jokes where one of them is uh steve zahn who plays a wizard throughout the course of the film uh is trying to perform some kind of spell ritual uh, that will do something, and the the uh, erstwhile LARP DM of this event, the character played by Jimmy Simpson, is just sort of casually denying that it worked. Yeah, the... <laughs> the Well, actually, the beginning does start with a bit about, hey, there's a real magic book that can summon demons that exists. Oh, yeah, they do a whole John D thing, where they're like, oh, in the 16th century, John D wrote a angel communication song guide book unfortunately it actually only works to summon demons blah 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 and then it fell into the wrong hands the greasy stoner hands of steve zahn and you know one of the things about this where uh ronnie the dm in this is just like nope that didn't work is yeah (laughs) i mean it does really go along with my initial reserves about everything with larp where there's also a scene where our main character like throws a little like foam dagger at someone who goes, You missed when it clearly hit him. I'm like, man, yeah. <laughs> when you it don't have off his chest. Yeah. structures and rules in place. <laughs> 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 Fuck the honor system is what I am saying. Yeah, so they're out in the woods trying to perform some ritual and Jimmy Simpson's character, whose name is uh Ronnie. Ron, yeah, sorry, Ronnie Kwok is like, huh, it didn't work. You, I don't feel like you had enough motivation and conviction. It didn't work. Fuck you, Eric. It didn't work. I just, I don't know why you're arguing with me. It's going to cost you experience points if you argue with me. It didn't work. Yeah. That, I mean, one of the fact that one of the main plot points of this is Steve Zahn's character getting to be a level 26 sorcerer is like, oh, you've got to do something that would earn you a level 26 and so i think that's what this whole ritual thing was about I'm yeah just like, and he's dude. making fun of their their like their artistry and so on because they use like smoke bombs and shit and, and blood packs and so on to try and make it as realistic as possible and the ronnie character just keeps going like no 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 this isn't good enough it needs more zazz <laughs> it needs mr zazz <laughs> so you know, ultimately, the never-ending fight between the two of them about whether or not this spell worked is interrupted by uh, paintball rednecks who come out of a pickup truck and start shooting them with paintballs. Uh, and they one of them finds Steve Zahn's dropped magic book, picks it up, and it tries to eat his face. Yes, indeed. And it's going to eventually get ripped off of his face, but leaves a whole bunch of passages and whatnot tattooed onto his face and that will be a plot point i was gonna say i wish it was a bigger plot point it's it's just sort of a macguffin for later in the movie that this guy has words on his face but like i was kind of hoping that this guy would be a relevant villain because this scene seems to set him up that way yeah i thought something was gonna happen with that like either well first when they pulled the book off of him i thought it was gonna rip his face off and when it didn't and it just left him with like all these symbols and words on his face i was like oh he's gonna be like some sort of weird conduit thing for the book's energy okay i get it and then it it had nothing to do with anything 
No, the the movie really only has one villain who does the same thing over and over again. Uh, anyway, our main character isn't even in this scene. They all kind of escape in their own cars. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, I think his name is Hung. Is yes. uh, yeah. Uh, so so Hung, who was who is played by uh, I can't remember his name, Dinklage, and uh, and Steve Zahn's Eric escape together in a van, and uh, they're like, oh my god, I can't believe this worked. We're gonna or this didn't work. We're gonna stuff it in Ronnie Kwok's face as soon as we can, and then Steve Zahn freaks out because he lost the book, and then it teleports into the the, the van, uh, and then. After all of that bullshit, we are finally introduced to the movie's main character in an, a different scene. Yes. Our main character is Joe. He's a mechanic that loves metal, and his girlfriend is so stuck up and worried about business and success that she can't just be happy for him and him enjoying his life. What a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're introduced to him singing death metal into a work light in a mid to the middle of the day garage and hanging out with Brian Pizzane, who has the good business sense to only be in about one minute of this movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were like, hey, we need someone to like metal, and he's like, well, I'm around. I like metal, man. And they were like, perfect, right, get in I'll here. I'll be in your movie. <laughs> so he's he's barely in this. Uh Joe, our main character, is played by a guy named Ryan Quantin, who is primarily an Australian TV actor. Uh, it, it's weird seeing him as the main character when almost everyone else in the main party is significantly more well-known than him. It's true, and I <laughs> i mean, I feel like there's a reason for that. They were like, well, I think we can get, you know, one good-looking guy we can't get a Hemsworth, so let's get knockoff Hemsworth. Oh, okay. You want one of Hemsworth's brothers? No, worse. No, uh, no. A knockoff Hemsworth. One that isn't a Hemsworth, but close have, like, enough. And I can't afford it. Do you have something in like a Liam Hemsworth? <laughs> <laughs> and, and here he is. Uh, and he is singing death metal into a, a work light. And John, I got to tell you, I feel bad for saying this, but... Death metal in, or even just heavy metal in general, is almost invariably a bad sign for a movie, and I feel bad about that. If a movie Why is a heavy, I don't know. I mean, it's not always true. Obviously, there's movies about heavy metal that are really, really good, or that feature it that are good, like Deathgasm, or heavy metal in and of itself, or uh, I don't know. There, there, I'm sure there's other really uh, uh, Spinal Tap. There are plenty of examples, but normally, if a movie just has like no-name death metal all over the soundtrack, it's bad, and it's going to be bad. I mean, I'll say this. The the sort of death metal that they have in this only shows up twice, here and at the end, as... It's also the <sighs> score, though. The score is a, a whole tremendous amount of jug-a-jug-a-jug-jug-jug-jug-jug-jug shit constantly throughout the film. There, there's only two metal songs, but the scoring is all also done in heavy metal and uh, instrument. Eh, I didn't even notice it. I'm I'm not one of those people that ever really notices the score. I'll be honest, unless I, I it's do. a song that I already know. <laughs> well, I can I can I can inform the listeners then that I do pay attention to it, uh, and it was very noticeable that this movie is trying to do a heavy metal thing. All right, sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, he is he is hanging out, just fucking around in his garage environment. Uh, he gets yelled at by his boss and dumped by his girlfriend. Yep. And his girlfriend, Beth, leaves him because he's not doing enough with his life, and he's just willing to coast. And we find out that he lives in a fake castle with his friends. Apparently, Steve Zahn's Eric is just a millionaire. They and call it him an ne It never explains why. They like mention they he's an accidental millionaire, so he somehow yeah. lucked into a tremendous amount of money, and we don't know what it is. Yeah, they uh, so, they don't say like, oh, he's an accidental millionaire because he invented something or won the lottery or whatever or inherited it. He just has a ton of money and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And so he, because he is a turbo nerd, uh, which is a term I usually only reserve for movie characters like this who are nerdy beyond the point of common sense. Yes. Because here's the thing. I know a lot of nerds. John knows a lot of nerds. Together, we know a multitude of nerds. None yeah, of them there's are so many nerds. None of them are ever anything like this. No, and where, they, where it's become a lifestyle choice, where he lives in a castle and spends all of his time polishing battle axes, and and unless you really, really yell at him, he will only talk in thee thou shit. Yeah, I, I mean, 
just to move it along, they do sort of get him drunk and high and hijack him to a LARP, do Eric and Hung. Fair enough, uh, yeah. The, he wakes up in a LARP, the LARP of Evermore in some fucking parking lot. But, man, the amount that I'm like, yo, I, I can almost get it when you're actually at the place doing the whole, like, ha-ha, prithee, tell me. But if you do it before that, I'm like, my dude, chill thyself the fucketh out. Yeah, this is a lot, this Dinklage performance is very similar to the Tiptoes Dinklage performance for me, where they were like, well, we want you to be in the movie, uh, you're going to play a warrior and so on, and we're never going to say the word dwarf, but eh, it might be kind of heavily implied by the film. And he's like, I will be in your movie if I can act like a weirdo from start to finish. I mean, God bless him. I loved him in this. He was (laughs) definitely the bright shining star in this movie. That's actually true. I mean, the the thing is, Dinklage is going to shine no matter what. Uh, he was also the best part of Tiptoes in that he was refusing to take the rest of the movie, even at face value. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, God bless him for that. He's like, yo, you want me to do what? All right, fine. Fuck you. I'm taking it to the limit. <laughs> right. So he is exactly as committed to this LARP, like, as lifestyle thing as Steve Zahn's character is. Uh but they kidnap, they kidnap Joe, drag him to this place, and this is the point where they start doing the D&D shit that we had to talk, I was talking about in the intro, where they're like, you have to play LARPing with us. You used to play D&D, and he's like, D&D isn't LARPing, and they're like, but you were a legend at D&D. Remember when you gave Ronnie Quark's paladin demonic syphilis? People still talk about it. I'm like, no, you still talk about it. Yeah, and even then, when people, if people did still talk about it, they'd still be talking about how you did some inappropriate sex shit at a table and then never played D&D again. Hmm? Uh, Except, of course, not in this universe, because this is a universe where any kind of X cards, consent, anything that's, you know, sane about role-playing games has been discarded in favor of, like, raw shtick. Yeah, no, this is definitely the world where they're like, ha ha ha, I remember when I was like 12 and I thought, oh, there's a disease called mummy rot. What about mummy crotch rot, eh? What yeah, about and, that? And and notably, it's a world where you're like, well, when I was 12, I thought I could put a rot grub right up your pee hole. Uh, and then now I'm 35. What if I put a rot grub right up your pee hole? Yeah, it's it's just no one has grown out of that thing and i can understand that as a like if that was a choice that i felt they were making for the characters in order to say something but it's mostly just like this is what we assume role-playing is yeah exactly well notably because it works that way for every character regardless of their relationship to role-playing uh when we meet ronnie later who is ostensibly a side bad guy but really kind of just an a roguish character in the film. He is flanked by two people who are not role-playing game aficionados, but are just like his setup people for this LARP event. And they spend most of the movie just laughing at him for a story about how he jerked off to a picture in a monster man. Yeah. God, I mean, the end of the movie has one of those like text over still picture. This is what happened to these people after the movie. And the fact that it was like, ho, ho, uh, Ronnie's monster manual pages are still stuck together. (laughs) Like, that was not a joke that was funny enough that you needed to bring it up at the end of the movie. Yeah, imagine that. That's like, you know, your cat brings you a fucking dead bird and then you throw it in the garbage. And then three hours later, you find your cat has brought it back to you. You're like, I did not want this in the first place. And now it's worse. Yeah. I mean, the basic joke being, this guy beat off to a picture. It's like, yeah, so fucking what? Who cares? I mean, even in 2013, you already had your anime stands that you were not <laughs> preaching to a choir here. Uh... Any- anyway, we uh, Joe, of course, is incredibly pissed off that he's been shanghai to a, an undisclosed location for a kidnap weekend. And, uh, and so he's yelling at them, but then they're like, you have to stay with us, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's explain to you how LARPing works. And... He's not having it until finally we give him a reason to stay around all weekend. Summer Glau. Indeed. He is just sort of like, man, I don't like, I don't want to do this hyper nerd shit. And then Summer Glau walks by in slow motion and he's like, never mind, I'm on board now. Yeah. Although yeah. I'll say this, like, he just got broken up with and I feel like he would have 
I mean, I don't want to say that this movie should have some better emotional reactions to things, because when people find, like, their friends dead, they also sort of don't have very appropriate emotional reactions. I understand. It's a comedy. Whatever. But still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally get it, too. I just, I mean, granted, I kind of would have been more into it than he is, because also he got fired at the day his girlfriend dumped him, so he has nothing else to do. And, Did and, he get uh, fired, though? I, I think he was. it was supposed to be implied that he got fired for punching that car, but whatever. I don't know. Who, yeah, uh, there's no way to know. It doesn't fucking matter. He's He mooches off a millionaire anyway, so it, his job is effectively irrelevant. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the only thing we need to know about him is that he is good at singing death metal. Uh, that's, and that's right. That's his only real character trait. Uh, anyway, the uh, our Hung immediately gets high on mushrooms, and then... Uh, Steve Zahn has to go off to convince Ronnie to let Joe be part of the the, the weekend event. And yes. it turns out that the whole demonic syphilis thing still holds some water in his grudge boot or whatever the fuck. And so he's like, I don't want him in my game, but I will allow yeah. him uh, as a favor to you. Yeah, they have to do a summoning ritual for Joe to be brought into the game. And this is where... Oh no, everything goes bad because uh, Eric uses the stupid demon book and he summons a succubus. And Joe had a picture of him and Beth at prom back when they were in high school, which is weird because she looks exactly the same then as she did, you know, when we saw her in the movie, which should have been probably like 10 years ago, but whatever. Who cares? Uh, but yes, and because that picture is there, the succubus takes the form of Beth. Yep, and then, so basically, he trips out, sees a demon, demonic version of his girlfriend in the summoning circle, but nothing else really happens. Uh, Ronnie Kwok comes running out of the woods to be like, hey, you guys, like, set a fucking fire out here, what the shit's with all this smoke? Our permits are, are, uh, are you know, they're gonna come collecting our permits and kick us out of here if you do shit like this. And by the way, whenever I'm talking like this, or for Steve Zahn, it should be, Ah, noble knights, what deeds have you have transgressed that created such plumes of billowing smoke? They shall taketh mine permit. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, at least Ronnie will slip in between, like in and out of it. I do yeah. appreciate the the few moments where you see when a character breaks from that. Like, for some reason, Steve Zahn does not, even though this movie also has the uh the cousin that we were talking about that summer glow was there to take care of gunther mm -hmm. the whole point of that character is that he never breaks character that he's yeah. always pretending to be like a barbarian and that's a thing that people are like oh that's weird and then steve zahn's eric just also never breaks character <laughs> it's true yeah gunther is like the pal the uh, barbarian of our our main group uh, and his whole deal is that he, there's something wrong with him. He really thinks he's a real barbarian and he cannot be broken of the habit. Uh, there was an incident a long time ago where he went to a medieval knight's restaurant, uh, jumped the railing and, and, uh, sent the red knight to the hospital. Yeah. And so, and so as therapy, they let him carry a battle axe around on weekend trips to a bunch of nerds. Yep. Uh, the other thing that we get during this, summoning ritual is introduced to lando danny putty's character who will <laughs> be danny here Putty. for 15 minutes you can see when daddy danny putty's check clears because <laughs> he leaves a he leaves a him shaped hole in the in the uh wall of the women's bathroom that his character dies in <laughs> he's just like all right yeah i know i'm famous for being a nerd on stuff anyway here i am it's me <laughs> Oh, Hi guys, check cleared. Well, <laughs> here's your two minute cameo of the guy from Community. I'm out. I'm gonna go start voicing Huey Duck. I don't need this. <laughs> uh, I mean, the saddest part is like the succubus comes out and starts murdering people, and eventually gets to uh, Hung and Lando and kills both of them. And I'm like, man, you really just took the only two people that were decent in this movie right out. Well, I, it's interesting. That, uh, the one thing I thought was notable of the super minor characters in the movie is that obviously while all these events are happening, it's a full-sized weekend LARP. So there's like 
hundreds of people here, and all of them are doing the same thing, where they wander around the woods, and they're all like, Thou art an unf- uh, or a fiendish knight that I must slay, verily, and shit, because obviously every LARP is fucking medieval times and not, you know, just a nerd <laughs> gathering. Um, but one, there's two, like, faction leaders, and one of them is, uh, oh gosh, Michael Gladys from, from Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of weird that he's he's shitting around in this and and completely after his Mad Men career because this is 2013 and <laughs> he was mostly on that show in like 2009. Yeah, so, true. So, <laughs> <laughs> so whatever's going on with him, he he has like this fucking nothing role where he plays like the king of one of the two factions. The factions, by the way, just get dispatched mi- primarily off screen by a monster, and you never really get to see much of any of them. I'm gonna say. There is a point where they talk about all of the different groups that are here, even though there's only, like, apparently two kingdoms battling, but there's, like, a ton of different groups of LARPers? Whatever. Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, little combat teams that have assembled and have, like, Power Ranger-style identity blocks. I I hate to say that I fucking loved their dumb pun names. We had the Freakend Warriors... The Medieval Knievels, Gnomeland Security, Fair Leather Friends, which I personally really liked, and the Norse Whisperers, also uh, yeah. good. Most of them were pretty great, uh, up until a certain point. For the most part, they get introduced and are just set aside and you never see any of them again. The The one that's a bunch of dudes in fairy wings uh, is used again later for some questionable jokes. Yeah, well... Uh, uh, same thing with the elf guy, the elf guy who's out in the woods and who is who is gay because he's an elf. <sighs> the uh, <laughs> the choices for a lot of things in this. I was like, OK, when the succubus goes to, like, kill the one elf guy and he's like, yeah, no, you're marching down the wrong battlefield. I was like, you know, I get that you're like, oh, he's gay because maybe he's an elf. But I'm like, I do like at least that there was someone there that was like, nah. <laughs> No, I totally get that. And of course, she just murders him from behind instead of make out killing like she does with almost everybody else. But it, the whole deal was he was out in the woods being like, ah, where are my bitch friends? Ah, uh, oh, what are you? Some sort of are you here for some kind of vampire LARP? That's not you're, you're in the wrong place, sweetie. And I was just like, oh, God, do we need this many gay jokes from this elf guy? I feel bad. I, this makes me feel bad. And the, the the worst part is that's not the last queer person that she's going to murder in this movie. She's the movie has two people in it who are coded queer in any way, both of them dispatched by the succubus brutally. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, her next victim is a woman who we find out was having a threesome and then saw the girl afterwards. Yeah, they they have this whole thing where this is the whole fairy group. Uh, they're wandering through the, the woods for no reason that's mentioned, just kind of wandering around with fairy wings on. And the lead guy in wings and her are kind of snipping at each other. And then they go, okay, out of game, which is like the only time anyone says that in the movie. And when, when they're out of game, he's like, yeah, we agreed to open the relationship. And she's like, yeah, and that you couldn't handle what happened. That's on you. And he's like, yeah, but you broke the terms. You saw her without me. And then she's like, yeah, well, you need to be a man. And then she, like, walks off into the woods. So um, it, overall, I mean, I get it. I've seen enough polydynamics to understand what's going on here. But it, this is this is a bad take on both of their parts. And because she, we established that she likes the ladies – when she wanders off and finds a blood-soaked woman in a prawn dress in the woods, she's like, oh, gosh, let's make out immediately. Now, I was like, okay, sure. Everyone thinks that she's there for a vampire LARP because she's got blood sort of streaming down from her mouth onto a dress. And you're like, okay, I get it. Sure, you're here for a LARP as well. Great. And... You know, you just got into a fight and a sexy lady wants to make out with you. I can even understand that. However, when you go to make out with her and it is actual blood that is now in your mouth, you'd think you'd go, whoa, what the fuck? No, she gets into it immediately instead. So when when they start making out, she's like, ooh, oh, oh, my, oh. And then, like, st- the woman starts tearing her clothes off and, like, like sticking her fingers into in, into her back, and she's just like, oh, I'm still into this. I'm definitely still very into this. And I'm like, we needed more establishing for this. As it stands, it just makes you look like the, the character was like, like uh, before she walks off to die, she goes, you just can't deal with the fact that I'm a lesbian. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go do the lesbianist thing that movies can think of. <laughs> she's going to move in with someone? 
<laughs> That's what lesbian comedians think of. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <laughs> the uh, Hung and Lando get killed by the succubus, and Ronnie is there and manages to run away without getting murdered him. Mm-hmm. Self and... Then everyone finds the dead body. Well, not everyone. I mean, our main characters do. Because if everyone found the dead bodies, everyone would leave instead of what actually happens. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Gunther, of course, is going to go all, we have to rescue our noble friend, blah, blah, blah. We but, must uh, have vengeance. The other thing that's worth mentioning here is that uh, Hung was on mushrooms, but at no point did he fall for the, the, the succubus thing. He was like, that's a succubus. You guys need to stand back. I'm going to kill this thing. Like, he is dead serious to the very end, and he dies heroically, where uh, Lando dies hiding in a women's bathroom. Yes. Um, uh... <laughs> it's, important for the, it's important for the climax of the film, basically. Yeah. The other thing to know is that the van that they came in has a bunch of actual, real weapons in it, because I guess we're supposed to, like, think that he sells them to the people here? Yeah, like, they have this whole thing about, like, oh, we're real authentic LARPers. That's why we need real steel sometimes. Oh, no, I thought it was, I have people that want to buy it from me. Like, I have customers. I guess. I mean, why would Steve Zahn bother with some sort of metallurgic middleman business when he is, again, an accidental millionaire? Uh, Because he's that type of turbo nerd? I guess. I, I guess so. Sure, why not? To me, it just struck as him having... Obviously, he's got every other kind of nerd affectation there's ever been, so naturally he needs a bunch of fucking mall swords all clattering around the back of his ugly-ass van. (laughs) Uh, I actually was waiting for one of those swords to just break on something and be like, yeah, it's a replica, what are you doing? Yeah, the movie, instead of doing that, mostly fetishizes how cool the real swords are, and then no one ever uses them for anything on screen. Yeah. Uh, So... But yeah, they go back, they run back to the van to get their real steel. Gunther runs off to try to rescue someone. I don't know. I don't care. Steve Zahn's Eric has broken character and just wants to leave. And this is when they have a little minor encounter with some random other LARPer who, this is like the most believable character in the movie because he's he's like a an energy vampire grade nerd where he's just like, they're like, hey, hey, can you call 911? And he's like, actually, out here, if you were to call 911, it would route you to the sheriff's department. I'll just have Siri on my phone call the direct uh, line for the sheriff's department instead. Hey, Siri. And it was just like, dude, shut up. We just want you to call 911. <laughs> yeah. Most I mean, believable fact, character. The fact that someone says, hey, you need to call 911, and your response isn't, oh, shit, what happened? It's, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was, that character was great, especially because he also just walks off at this point. He's like, all right, you people are fucking weird. I want no part of this. I'm going to go to my car. Goodbye. Yeah. Man, the... I I was just thinking about it. The size of this entire area that they're doing this LARP has to be gigantically massive because... They keep getting lost? Everyone gets lost. There's a point where, uh, like, Joe and Summer earlier are like, oh, we have to go back to the car to get something. And it goes from, like, mid-afternoon to nighttime, and they have not gotten to the parking lot yet? Yeah. And, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of jokes in the movie about how the guys in charge of, like, logistics and design for the LARP event did a shitty job of drawing the maps. Uh, and people keep getting lost in the woods. And you'd think no one's going to get fucking lost in the woods at a LARP event over a weekend. And it, 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 no matter how remote it is, you're going to hear that fucking parking lot. You're going to be able to smell that campsite. Yeah. Like, there's going to be enough noise and light and whatnot that it really shouldn't matter, but instead, this is apparently going to be a several miles wide uh, LARP event, I guess. Like, I've never gone to an actual, like, medieval-style LARP in the woods like this. That's that's a, a kind of a hole in my experience of nerd shit. But I have gone camping with, like, 200 people. In a uh, kind of just a forest environment where people were setting up campsites and tents and so on. And I got I got to tell you, you don't get lost. You can always tell where some tents are because there's always some light. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't matter. For the purposes of the movie, people constantly get lost in the woods, which is great. So a succubus can get them. Yes. At one point, uh, the succubus challenges when they find the dead bodies. Uh, the succubus challenges the surviving people like Eric and, and, uh, and Joe and Gwen. 
And Eric tries casting another spell out of his book at her to stop her. Uh, and she runs off into the woods and they think this means they killed her. But it just all, actually because Ronnie can read ancient Anakian, he's like, you didn't kill her. You transformed her into a bigger, stupider monster. And a big, dumb monster instead of a sexy, dumb monster. Overall, there's no functional difference between the final monster in this movie and the succubus. They're both immune to any kind of attack with any kind of real weapon, uh, and they also can just kill you with any kind of hit they want to land on you at any point. There's there's really not a difference. I mean, I figure the at least with the succubus, they were able to be like, oh, I can pin you against a tree with just like a sword, whereas this one can like lift a truck. So, you know. I mean, here's the thing. When they pin her to the tree with a sword, because I was going to talk about that, that's how they 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 get enough time to try and cast a spell out of the book at her. Is that it, someone throws a sword at her and it sticks her to a tree like like you know a dart into the wood, uh, and she sits there wriggling for a bit, and then she just walks sideways to get off the sword, and her dress isn't even cut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so. She's immune to any kind of physical damage. They just pinned her to a tree, and she was like, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, I'm out of it. Yeah. So this spell turns the succubus into Abominog, a big old demon thing. Just one Bominog? One Bominog? A Bominog. It's me, yeah. A Bominog, attorney at law. <laughs> at this point, it becomes kind of disappointing that it, that it gets turned into a monster because now we don't get to see the monster in the movie anymore because it's stupid looking. Yeah, they. <laughs> <laughs> it was an unnecessary move. They should have just had the, the spell turn her into like the same actor, but armored up now, you know, like made her a badass warrior, evil warrior, so you could keep her on screen. Now, now instead, of he's they have to fight a bunch of like disconnected arms and legs. Yeah, it's it's silly as fuck, but whatever. <laughs> so, all kinds of shits going on in the margins here. Everyone's running around like assholes. Uh, the the camp there, there's a couple of people who Ronnie left in charge at the LARP group who have to like start a battle in the middle of the night. Well, yeah, they're supposed to start it at like six in the morning or whatever, but they hear the roar from Abominog and think it is the roar from the fake dragon that they are using, and that is the signal that they're supposed to get in order to start up the uh, the battle. So they start it early. Yeah, and that leads to the two army leads lo giving long, boring, impassioned speeches, uh, and then as they're giving their speeches, a dragon car, or during their combat, a dragon car comes driving out, and it's like a car that has paper mache dragon shit on it. Oh, and by the way, that that sets up one of the more common lines of jokes in the movie as well, which is that the two knuckleheads who were like the Ronnie's like aides, uh, one of them has access to a PA system in the woods, and he just uses it for jokes. Yeah, just so he'll be like just making uh, jokes. Yeah, so he'll be like, "Oh, a fearsome dragon has entered the battlefield." You must defeat it, but don't be douche lords about the wings. The paper mache is still drying. Yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, oh, the other thing we didn't mention yet is that when they finally get that, that turbo nerd in the parking lot to call the sheriff's office for them, the people who answer are just the paintball geeks. So yeah, The paintball now, now, rednecks are... Are coming, the, and they're coming the hard. Because <laughs> it turns out all cops are bastards. Yes, yeah. And apparently all prisoners, because the guy in the jail cell was also one of the... the oh, he was just taking a nap in there. Yeah. Uh, so they, they're going to head down as well. Now there's this dragon car. Everyone's fighting that. And as the dragon car shows up, so too does Abominog, who just kind of wanders through the camp, the campsite murdering everybody. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to me that the aftermath of this, where Abominog murders... Let's just go ahead and say roughly 50 people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's the end of the movie, like I said, has that sort of text crawl thing. And at no point are they like, uh, definitely all of these people were put into prison. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you can't do that or else no horror movie makes any sense because they always end with like, and then everybody in town died because that's got to be the crescendo of the film. But not the final girl. She's still alive. And then the next day she gets arrested because... What other fucking suspect is there? <laughs> See, I mean, at least with the other ones, it's like, oh, it was just five people and they were out in the woods and it ends before anything else. Or if the cops show up, the cops die, too. There's but almost with this, no you're like, man, you had 
a massacre in a field. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> There's almost no movie where this kind of thing is ever going to function. Like, If a bloodbath happens in the movie, even if you're like, okay, well, there's a perfectly good reason why no one could call the cops, you're still going to have the family members of all those dead nerds tracking you down and asking you questions. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, Ronnie comes running into the camp campground. He's like, I have to warn you, a big monster is actually coming here and it's going to, oh, never mind. You're all dead. Oh, everybody's dead. Uh, uh that includes, uh, when, during the attack, the, uh, redneck paintballers showed up. So they are included in the death toll and their truck is still there, which is important. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, they, they, the, they still have access to the truck of the, of the redneck paintball guys. Uh, they send Ronnie to go get it started so he can try and ram the, the demon monster. But turns out because we need a few more jokes in the movie, Randy can't drive a non hybrid car. Oh, Ronnie, it, this truck doesn't have a start button. How do I start this non hybrid? Uh, God, there's so many things we're leaving out of this movie uh, of this movie because they were just shitty anyway. Like the scene where where uh, Summer Glau or what's her name character's name Gwen, where where Gwen and Joe get attacked by like random nerds on their way to the bathroom. Yeah, there's there's a point where they are walking uh, to go. I think meet up with Ronnie, who's going to tell them like what their quest is. Yes, and. Eric is talking to Joe and is like, oh, this is what you need. You need to come with us. And this is our group. That's uh, Lando. And he's a brave cleric and Gunther. He's kind <laughs> of so crazy. And they feel so bad with Lando. They might as well have said that he's Slipknot and he can climb anything. <laughs> because they're like, that's Lando. He's a brave and noble cleric. Actually, don't, don't tell him, but he's a total coward in battle. Also, he's completely obsessed with experience points. So everything he ever says is going to be about that. And they give him all this setup, and then the poor fucking guy has three lines. Uh, but the the big point of this is, he's then like, ah, and then there is beautiful Gwen with a plus three ass of sexiness. Oh, which and then inst is bad of... enough in and of itself. And then yeah, she I... turns around and is like, plus three? Oh, you underestimate my endowments. And I'm like, fuck both of you. <laughs> I mean, granted, this movie does do the standard Hollywood thing of hotting up everybody who would actually attend an event like this, you know? Uh, it's especially bad with the... Most of the men in this movie are like Brian Pazane looking, you know, dirty woods nerd motherfuckers. And, and all the women in the movie, of course, are like suicide girls. <laughs> the, uh... Yeah, but the fact that they're like, oh, what's our only two real, like, main female characters in this? Oh, one is a literal succubus, and the other one's only defining characteristic is that she is hot and is there so that our main male character can get over the evil succubus lady. Yeah, she literally exists in this movie for the, the reason why Joe doesn't leave immediately, and then just you know, the object of conquest for him later in the, in, in the storyline. But there's a scene where the two of them are walking to Ronnie to get their notes and they get attacked by random nerds in the woods who, despite, I, I guess they're just like, Oh, well I eliminate competition. What the fuck is this conflict conflict? What is happening here? Like there's a scheduled combat at five in the morning. Uh, they can, I guess probably have sanctioned little mini fights between the various groups, but there's no DM around or anything. So, this is just three people showing up to, like, beat up some nerds in the woods. Except, instead of it being like, oh, we're going to go beat up some nerds in the woods, you're like, oh, look, the two hottest people here are walking along. Let's go fuck with them? Yeah, and it's still, it, it's got this structure where there's a lead guy who's like, I'm the fat guy in charge, and now my two muscle heads will get you. And I'm like, what are you, the fucking penguin? What is your deal? Ugh. <laughs> uh... Like, what is... What is their plan? And anyway, Summer Glau's uh, Beth, no, Beth's the succubus. Gwen yes. is like, oh, I've got this. And then she just does a bunch of spinning. Um, yeah, it's a good trick. It's a good trick. So she just keeps doing it. And she manages to hit both guys like once. And they're both like, ah, I have, have been vanquished. And then Joe throws a little dagger at the last guy. And he's like, you missed. No, I didn't. Oh, I guess I'll pretend to die then. Ah. Yeah. But, but again, what the fuck even was that? Yeah, like, are they going to go back to a, like, DM and go, hey, we got uh, killed out in the woods by some other people. Sorry, we can't take place, like, in the in the main conflict. Or are they just going to ignore that 
And what was that for? Like, if they had won, what were they going to do? I mean, notably, there is another scene we, we glossed right over in the movie right after the introduction of the main party where they get attacked by demon apes, which are just guys in monkey costumes. And uh, they they meant because the DM of the setting is actually there, he's standing around calling hits as they happen. And he calls a fake hit against Joe. Uh, he's like, Joe has suffered a, a mighty blow across the back and if if been unconscious. And I'm, and and, and uh, Joe's like, no one hit me in the back. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, thou should sit down before I kick you out of the group. Thou art unconscious. And then they beat the 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 apes and everyone just gets up and keeps going about their business. Like no points are marked. Nothing's really noted. It's just this fucking shit happened. Yeah, it was just a random encounter with uh, no real point to it. Great. So. Yeah, and then this other one is even worse because there's no DM present. There's no NPCs. It's just, oh, look, two guys. Let's, I guess, get them. <laughs> get them. That was your whole plan. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just a two, uh, the one big chance of the movie for Summer Glau to spin around to make her skirt go up. Uh, yeah, it's it's the, hey, do you remember River from Firefly? <laughs> That's the only reason nerds care about this. We're going to have her do some of that. Yeah. Anyway, we can jump back to the climax now. They're, they, they're all fighting this big demon in a big field of dead bodies. Uh, the There's a bunch of shit that happens. They hit the demon with the truck, and the demon gets stuck on that. Uh, they take turns over who's in the truck. Ronnie gets out to help with spell stuff, so... Gwen starts pinning the monster with the truck. The barbarian Gunther guy is stabbing one of its arms down so it can't kill anybody. Yeah, the uh, I mean, the main thing is when Eric tries to do another spell out of the book, Ronnie sees, oh, the, the gem was glowing when you were trying to do the spell. And uh, the Abominog, like, gets fireworks in its mouth when they shoot fireworks at it, and then it breathes fire. And for some reason, Eric's natural reaction to this is, I should try and block that with the book? And not, like, because it was being shot at him. It was being shot at someone else, and he jumped in front of it book first. Yeah, I'm still not sure what that was even supposed to be. Like, the the guy shot fire at, like, the passenger seat of the truck that was otherwise empty, and he was like, I shall stop it with the mighty book. And then the book burns down. And Which is, let me just go ahead and say this a whole big deal was made out of how John D could not destroy the book. And it was, Oh, it could not be destroyed. And when, uh, the rednecks in the very beginning of the movie, find the book, the one guy who gets the like passage on his face is trying to tear the book apart and mm -hmm. nothing happens. The movie makes this big deal out of how indestructible this book is. And then the second it gets hit with fire, it's like, Oh no, it burned up. No, that makes sense to me, because that's not fire, that's demon fire. Except it isn't. It's fireworks. Oh, I thought, no, I, th I thought it was the demon breathing fire. Did he have fire? Oh, did he have an arrow in his mouth? Yes, they shot okay. the fireworks into the demon's mouth, and then they were like, oh no, look out. Okay, that's what that, I thought it was just, he was burning the arrow out of his mouth with his perfectly cromulent demon fire. But no, okay, the book gets burned away, and Ronnie's like, it's okay, though, because the jewel is the only thing that fucking matters. You just need to cast a spell now. And he's like, yeah, but the book had the spells in it. And then Gunther shows up, and he's like, hey, thou art lucky that I hath found a head with spells written on it. Yeah. And look at that, the MacGuffin hath returned. Oh, boy, we'll use this. Except, no, we won't, because immediately, <laughs> Joe's just like, oh, uh, all, all we need is to essentially sing and use the gem as a focus, great. I'm going to do my death metal song and, and use the gem. Oh, my the God. The MacGuffin that we had of this head with passages on it literally does not matter for anything. I mean, how much can we talk about how cringy this fucking song is? I mean, whatever. It's it's some guy's original death metal song. Obviously, it's pretty cringy. Yeah, and he's just... He gets up on top of the truck and he's holding something and pretending. I think it's that that dildo-y looking dagger he's had the whole movie. And he's pretending that it's a, uh, a a microphone. And he starts singing some like... You remember that episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force where Shake rewrites the birthday song? I don't. Oh, well, he, they, they actually got Getty Lee to sing it. But the, the whole song is just like, Deep within the rails of time, the sleeper doth be born kind of shit and that's more or less what's happening here yes it's rough 
<laughs> and his song is so metal and badass that it summons the ghost of Hung. Yep, he summons up a uh, like a weird energy ghost of Hung to fuck up the demon, even though that doesn't really matter because what actually matters is him zapping the demon with energy from the gem. But he holds so, the demon off. I mean, Hung gets to go all kinds of two-sword badass, and we get to watch Dinklage just, like, murder this demon from with a bunch of, like, super magic-enhanced jumps and glowy eyes and shit, and it's kind of fun. Well, the whole thing is, it is a callback to the beginning of the movie when he was showing Joe how to fight, and he's like, oh, when you fight someone, you can get a point for, you know, limbs and legs and two for the chest, and then let me show you this, and he does, like, a bunch of moves and basically knocks joe down and then beth tells him to finish him and he does like a slice across your neck and then he does the same thing to the demon Mm -hmm. yeah and then he finishes the song because the song happened to end with like and fall into hellfire and then the demon like vanishes and oh boy we're done now joe and summer glow get to go on a date later and they're Joe and Gwen formed a metal band and promised to never LARP again. Okay, I don't... That's not a thing that I care about if they never LARP again or anything else about them. You'd think that'd be their one bonding experience and that they'd spend more time LARPing as a result of having gone on the first LARP. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, and uh, Eric finally became a level 26 sorcerer and he still LARPs. And you're like, okay... Yeah. Uh, sure. Oh, by the way, we didn't even mention it, but Ronnie gets murdered around by the demon around here. So yeah, the, de- Ronnie the demon gets killed. Dumps, dumps his guts, but they still work in that 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 although he died, his monster manual pages are still sticky with cum from that one time when he was in high school. Yeah, they're like, oh, posthumously, he was known as a game master extraordinaire, and his monster manual pages are still stucketh together. Yeah, it's got you gotta say stucketh, obviously, because that was the joke in the first place. Uh and I don't think there was anyone else really left oh wait, Gunther. Gunther still LARPs every weekend and he is a noble barbarian or whatever. Yeah, they're like, Oh, now that he has faced a real demon, he never breaks character. I'm like, that was the whole point of him, is that he never broke character. You didn't establish anything. God fucking <laughs> movie. <laughs> I mean, there's kind of a, a sense, there's a point in the movie where he, he doesn't really break character, but he at least is willing to engage with obvious out-of-character concepts. Because there's a part in the movie where he's yelling about that truck, and it's like, he doesn't even go like, what manner of fancy wagon be this? <laughs> uh, well, you have to assume he's already had that conversation about the car that they drove there in. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> a chariot devised by cunning gnomes? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, uh, the whole post-credit thing, I was like, okay, great. It turns out everyone's basically fine and didn't learn anything from this. Yeah, least of all us, because I gotta tell you, I had to watch this thing in chunks because of how dour the jokes are and how bad the sex politics of the movie are and how just utterly unfunny everything was. I mean... I said it before, but I'll say it again. Watching this movie and going, oh, I get it. The only females are a life-draining succubus that will use you and kill you, and a hot, sexy girl that you can get with. And I'm like, movie, please. I love how they have to end it on Summer Glau, like, not really wanting to be there. Like, it's... it's, they can't just have her be a happy nerd in the woods who's having a good time with her cousin. It ha- she has to be like, I'm only here to take care of my cousin, which is, of course, why I'm dressed like I'm in a medieval porn. Uh, but I just have to do that to like make him feel better. Uh, and also, I became a master swordsman, you know, again, just to make my cousin feel better. But <laughs> I don't. this whole thing is super fucking lame, am I right? I'd really rather be getting dicked by a metalhead. Yeah, I love metal, and I'm okay with nerdy stuff but i'm not super into it just like you as soon as uh, we start dating we're never gonna do anything nerdy ever again uh, (laughs) i'm like what is this like granted there's a lot of background extra female characters in this uh there's because every team has like one or two women on the team but every one of them is like i'm wearing a leather halter top 
No, it's not like any of them have names or matter. Yeah, the only other female character besides Beth and Gwen who gets a name is the uh, rapidly dispatched bisexual fairy lady uh, who was named Andy. Great. Uh, but I, but all three of them have, ext- they're just so badly written. I just, uh, oh, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, indeed. Okay, so well, let's go ahead. It. Let's get into the bests and worsts for the film. Uh, Jeff, what was the best thing in the film for you? Uh, there's a few performances I found good. Like, we we both kind of agreed that Dinklage did a really good job on his performance. But I think in terms of, like, a realistic moment from the movie that I kind of identified with, it's got to be that scene where the nerd, like, is like, you don't even want to call 911 in the woods because that's just crazy. No, I, let me go ahead and have my phone automatically dial the nearest sheriff's office. Yeah. And you're just like, dude, that is that is the only realistic nerd in this movie. Uh, mm. And... and <laughs> And so I, I bought it, and that was my favorite part. Great. What about you? What was your favorite thing? Uh, I mean, I definitely think you know, like we mentioned, Dinklage. Best thing in this, his ability to be charismatic even when playing just the worst stupid fucking characters is amazing to me. But uh, God, I just, I really liked a few little background interactions between the non-main characters. Yeah, Again, no, there were a couple, a little be- little writerly moments that weren't too bad. Well, because you'd have things where you're like, oh, you see them be a character, break character, talk about stuff, come back into character real quick, and you're like, oh, this this feels more natural. Like when, you know, the leader of one of the kingdoms is like talking to someone, then he goes, oh, uh, by the way, I got to get back to wherever so I can do this. Okay, anyway, and then goes back into his like king speech and I go, okay, this is fine. I like this. Yeah, or the conversation between the two guys who are like organizing the event and one of them's like, wait, you lost the horn? And he's like, no, it's cool. I have the shofar from my temple. I'll just blow that. Who gives a shit? Like there's uh, a couple of, there's a co- I mean, granted, that wasn't the best joke in the world. If anything, that was just a payoff for the fact that they had had that character actor hi- wear yarmulke the entire movie. Otherwise, yes, you're the, like, the, oh, the char- he's just wearing a yarmulke. And finally, at the end of the movie, we get to pay it off. He does a Jew thing. <laughs> he's got Jew powers. I mean, but it's it's cute and writerly because it's like got nothing. No one's no one's saying thy. I mean. To me, that's that's always one of the weak links in movies like this, is that they always seem to assume that nerds want to talk like fake-ass Shakespearean play-in-the-park-for-kid type shit. Because uh, no, no one has ever, in all of history, talked like that. Yeah, except for nowadays, when people talk like that, trying to pretend to be something else. And even then, the only people who talk like that are people in movies trying to act like nerds, so... It, they think that nerds talked in a way that no one has ever talked, and that the only it's like four degrees removed from reality is that the <laughs> that the thou shit. Uh all right. So Jeff, you yeah. may have just said it, but what's your least favorite thing in this movie? It's the sex politics. I I, I don't think I actually I, the uh but you were right, that the three women in the movie are given just garbage roles. And like one of them is exists to be a life draining succubus. One of them exists to be a mobile vagina trophy. And the last one we already talked about the the kind of bisexual bad poly relationship dynamic that defines her character in five lines or less and pays off horribly. It's it's untenable. It's completely it's unforgivable and it's just garbage. So that's my least favorite thing. You great. Uh, I mean. That is the worst thing in the movie. I'm going to go ahead and say the various references to certain ableism things as far as saying that this ritual was retarded or my cousin could do a better map and he's got learning disabilities and you're just like, okay. Or just the entire character of Gunther, who overall is a very credible and very useful character in the movie, but they set him up as like, oh, his brain's broken and he thinks he's actually a barbarian. And that's why we take him to these barbarian events, because that's healthy for him. It's good for him to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the the mega bullshit ending of Maces and Monsters, too. Remember, Tom Hanks's character completely breaks. So they're like, okay, fine. You could just live in the giant mansion and think you live in the woods. <laughs> All right, fine. You can you get to keep pretending you're a cleric and we'll just never stop you from doing that. Yeah, we'll do nothing else. This is therapy now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, the, the movie's got some uh, some issues. 
I'd say it's all issues. It's just a big pile of issues. (laughs) This shit's like a doctor's office. Just issues everywhere. Old ones. Old (laughs) issues that should have been gotten rid of already. Yeah, old issues that are still sticking together the pages of that one guy's monster manual. (laughs) Do you get it? And you know, by the way, if you're going to jerk off to something in an old D&D monster manual, it shouldn't be a succubus. Tiefling, as drawn by by Tony Deterlazy. Check it. That's the best one. All right. Or if you're really desperate, I guess maybe like get deities and demigods from first edition. Monster Manual in second edition is all kinds of neutered by comparison. There's actual out the bra boobies in deities and demigods. Hell yeah. It depends on how tolerant you are of nice hot boobies right underneath like a crawfish head. <laughs> I mean, you can you can put a post-it note on that. If you can roll with Blibdool Pool, then, you know, it's the the, uh, the wheels are greased, my friend. <laughs> oh, they're getting greased. I'm All just right. saying, if I, we're not here to kink shame. We're here to kink suggest. <laughs> We've got kink suggestions for you. Y'all ever try to <laughs> fuck a crawfish before? <laughs> crawfish up top, lady on the bottom. Uh, okay, so let's go ahead and give this movie, we're each going to give it a rating 0 to 5, which will give the movie a rating out of 10, Jeff. Uh, one and a half? I don't know. It just sucked. What about you? Uh, I mean, I'll probably give it a two, honestly, because it was better than I thought it was going to be, which just goes to show you how abysmal I thought this was going to be. I'm, we, we could also tell the story of that, of when uh, you told me what it was, because you just on chat channel were like, by the way, I rolled the movie, it's Knights of Badassdom. I had never heard of it, and I was like, John, based on nothing but that name, I'm going to guess it's Turbo Nerds, whose Turbo Nerd skills save the day. Uh, well, it turns out, correct, Yes. <laughs> And turbo nerd is an understood term between us. It it basically means fictional nerd. Yeah, someone that is a nerd in such a way that no one has been a nerd before. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, that good Christ. Uh, but like, I guess that's a three and a half then. Yeah, there you go, three and a half. That sounds Ugh. right. I mean, it does. It sounds I mean, right. Just because you're like, this had some decent enough production values for being a very independent movie, and you did get, you know, a couple people doing okay, but man, there is just not a lot to recommend here. <laughs> no, there really isn't. I mean, if you're want, if you if you a big fan of Danny Pudi or, or uh, you know, Peter Dinklage, good news! They are both very proliferant actors. They, they can be found everywhere. In other things. Good things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I would watch the one episode of Thirty Rock with Peter Dinklage in it ten times before I'd watch this movie again. <laughs> he worked at the UN. Uh, all right. So thank you so much. And of course, if you want more content, we have started up our bonus content for this. If you go over to patreon.com slash system mastery and support us at the five dollar level, we've got all sorts of stuff for you. You unlock bonus content for System Mastery, Expounded Universe. You get our monthly Afterthought show, but we also have our brand new TV Mastery. Jeff and I are going through and watching season one of Smallville currently, and it is a process. There is stuff going on. <laughs> There's a lot going on. I am very excited to get in and talk about uh, this will be episode three of season one that will be coming out t- uh, today. And it, uh, I got a lot to say, even though these episodes, anyway, they're so much fun. You should definitely check it out. We did that at the $5 level because we wanted to throw extra rewards out for the people who have been faithfully at five bucks just for afterthought for years. Yep. So if you want, you can go support us there. But of course, even if you don't want to do that, supporting us at any level will help, lets us keep doing what we're doing, lets us look at doing more stuff like we're doing with the TV mastery. We can always look to improve and we do that because of you. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in another couple weeks. And until then you have a good one. <laughs>